This is an AMI podcast. Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Ever hear of fairy rings? Lily's going to break down this natural phenomena for us and how they got their unusual name. Our special guests this episode are Mariko Izumi. Yeah, niece of Bob Izumi from Real Fishing. Also joining us will be Kevin Estrada, Mariko's husband. They're the hosts of a brand new show called Insight the Catch. It's all about introducing your children to fishing and nature. I'll have some tips for you on introducing young people to fishing. And on reflections, we'll be talking about the power of multimedia and mainstream media in terms of whether things like fishing are, you know, acceptable or not. So far, two thumbs up. So snap on your life jacket, grab your paddle, and Lewis and I will meet you over at the cabin. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Lily, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Hey, I've heard of crop circles, but I've never heard of fairy rings until recently. <laughs> so what'd you find out about fairy rings for us? Uh, turns out that mushrooms can grow in a circular pattern. These rings are commonly referred to as fairy rings. Where did the name fairy rings come from? The name comes from the old belief that fairies dance inside the circle of mushrooms, which is why the grass and other plants inside the circle are all lying flat on the ground. Oh. Do all mushrooms grow in circular patterns? Uh, no, only a few kinds of mushrooms form fairy rings. Uh, mushrooms like the giant puffball. Oh my gosh, my friends found the biggest puffball mushroom one time in the forest. It was bigger than a basketball. Oh, yeah, but it, was it all dried out or was it no, still soft? it was still soft. Because if you harvest them, I read at the beginning, you could cut them up like pancakes and fry yeah. them in a pan with butter, a little bit of salt. They're delicious. But, you know, they dry out and then they become puffballs, right? Big clouds of mm -hmm. powder come out of them. Well, the parents wanted to eat it, but they didn't want to because they were eight years old and they had named it. So puffballs make fairy rings. Yeah. Mushrooms are a type of fungus and fairy rings form as a result of the way certain types of fungi grow. What oh. happens is that these fungi start growing underground from a single spore. Then the spore sprouts a tangle of tube-like threads which spreads out horizontally in all directions, like spokes radiating from the hub of a wheel. That's what gives rise to the circular pattern, the part of the fungus that you see. The mushrooms spring up at the edge of the circle. The fungus continues to grow and spread, and while doing so, it also kills off any grass that is growing inside the ring. And if you look down on these rings from high up, you will see dark green circles surrounding patches of dead grass. Dark green circles, like a gas? Yeah, I guess. I mean, as the fungus grows, it gradually decomposes the grass in its path. Uh, the dark green color of the fairy ring arises from the release of phosphorus and nitrogen gas from the most recently decomposed grass. How old can these fairy rings get? Scientists have figured out how to measure the advance of fungus from the increasing size of a fairy ring, so they can figure out when the ring started to grow. Surprisingly, some fairy rings have been found that may have been growing for hundreds of years. These rings can measure as little as 2 meters in diameter and as large as 400 meters. That's a huge fairy ring, eh? 400 meters? I mean, 400 That's almost half a kilometer. Yeah, 400 meters. You wouldn't even be able to tell it was a circle until you actually did like a bird's eye view, you know? I guess yeah. drones are good at spotting these things. Yeah. 
Lily, that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Thanks a lot for this. Time for the bucket list. Here's my interview with Mariko Izumi and husband Kevin Estrada. Enjoy. Mariko Izumi and Kevin Estrada. Hey, you guys are like the fishing family of Canada now. Great to catch up with you guys. Thank you for having us. The kids and I are here visiting Papa Wayne Izumi and Grandma. And um, Dad and I are putting together a few business details because we are going to start shooting season two of the TV show. It talked to us about how that all got going, Mariko, because this, is, this isn't your first TV show. Yeah, and technically it's TV show number three, starting with Bob and my dad and their legacy, and then my fun in the 20s shooting Hooking Up for the World Fishing Network, and then telling the story of how it's going now in the 30s, and then obviously with Kevin involved, and then he brings a whole aspect of fishing to the game, so there was a lot to tell. Kevin, last we spoke, it was all about sturgeon and salmon on the lower Fraser River. You're so involved with the conservation movement and tagging and research. And here you are now dragged into a TV fishing show. I've seen you on a bunch of these episodes already. <laughs> How do you feel about that? You got time for all this, buddy? <laughs> well, first off, thanks for thanks for having me back again. And um, it's always a pleasure talking with you. You know, the cinematography of of this show is so much different than anything else that's that's out there and it's it's beautiful to watch right and it brings another demographic into to the show so i'm not uh, i'm quite busy out here like you said doing a lot of the stuff that uh, i do around sturgeon and conservation throughout the year and so i'm not in all the episodes but i've i've got in a couple mariko i read an article about joe azumi you know your grandfather and how he brought about uh, catch and release fishing to the bass fishing scene here in canada and was really instrumental behind that. And I've talked to your uncle Bob about that and his, you know, his dedication to conservation. And, and, and here you are now, like, this is a big part of your show, right? You're carrying the torch on this one. Yeah. And still the catch is a way to continue on the Izumi story for sure. And then also we have this extra spicy side of sturgeon fishing, which is a whole other world. Having two children now of your own. And, and everything going on in the world and, and so closely involved with the sturgeon, you know, one of the biggest conservation issues in Canada. I mean, how do you blend this in, in terms of your own family and the future of your children and the message you want to get across? I'm just really repeating what my dad, especially, but also my uncle and my mom and all of the Azumis kind of passed down to me, which is the importance placed on nature and protecting nature and respecting nature to show them things like stepping outside of your comfort zone and focusing and persevering and working hard and sometimes doing things you don't want to do, like waking up at 4 a.m. is really using fishing as a tool to teach them life lessons. There's so much emphasis on starting youth in fishing. If you don't connect children to nature through fishing at an early age, and say they pick it up later on in life. It's the difference between, is it in your blood? Is it part of who you are? Or is it just another one of the hobbies or, or, or things you've tried and, and to master and maybe got somewhat good at it, but just something you tried along your life path? Yeah, that's a huge difference, you know, because if it's just something you pick up when you're a teenager or an adult, uh, that's great. Definitely do it. But if you're privileged enough to have picked it up when you're a kid, it's part of your blood. It's part of your DNA. And so when you care about something 
that much, then you're obviously going to be way more motivated to delve deeper into it and you're never going to stop respecting it. So there's definitely a difference. And also then in today's modern times, you know, obviously something like fishing is so beneficial for mental health and just a kid's development, because otherwise it's really easy to just put them in front of the iPad. It is all the screens in our lives and especially in our children's lives, they grow up with these things. You know, they, they view the world through a, a piece of glass, right? And it's not a window. In my opinion, you can't keep them away because you're. Nope. if you want them to have a job, they need to know how to use technology. So yeah, that's, being on the water is such a perfect way to add that balance to their little brains. The other thing that I think is this pro versus anti-fishing thing, and this has been back and forth and seesawed and there's various groups that take different positions on this. But, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about one of my favorite movies that I, I love watching with my kids, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. And here's a dad who's a sardine fisher, you know, on an island somewhere in the Mediterranean. His son's a nerd and wants to become a tech head. But finally, finally, his dad teaches the kid how to fish. And they have so much fun and they bond and it's so sincere. You know, that happens all the time. But for, for this giant movie industry to make that part of the movie, right? That, I think that's fantastic that they don't shy away, that they don't say, oh, this could be controversial. You know, we're teaching kids to fish or their kids are fishing and we could lose some people who are object to fishing. No, no. They're right out there saying good thing, good way to bond, you know, totally sustainable when it's done right. Love it. You're going to have haters no matter what you do nowadays, right? With, yeah. you know, social media and the online world. But Kevin can speak to this even more because of what he's doing with Sturgeon. And that's kind of the beauty of tiger and yellow having him as their dad is he's doing sport fishing in the most sustainable way and then it also doesn't hurt that their uncle bob and papa izumi you know participate in a catch and release program and have for yeah. decades now um you know those things really help in terms of yale and tiger are exposed to a you know a, a modern progressive way of fishing but also that's the thing is no matter what way you slice it, you just cannot replace the kind of quality, true mindful time that you get when you're on the water fishing versus really almost any act other activity, right? And so the, yeah. I'm hoping also the instill the catch because it airs on global across the country. That's part of the goal too, is to show them like when you spend this much time in nature, you actually give back to nature the most compared to any other demographic. You know, we hear often about First Nations people and they want to harvest food for food and social and ceremonial purposes. They also want to have some commercial, you know, activity, which is that something they've done for thousands and thousands of years. There's the rest of the population. And there's some stats say that as many as 17 million Canadians have fished. Maybe they don't buy a fishing license every year. Maybe they fished as a kid, but they all think, you know, I, I fish. I have fished before. I probably will fish again. There's a lot of people who like fishing in a, in a positive way, but they might be the silent majority on this, right? We got to share and, and exchange knowledge and exchange best practices and support each other. Because I think there is just a tremendous growth in celebrating fishing that's been going on across Canada and some really good things happening in the fishing world when there's so many, much other negative news, you know, about the environment that we hear about. And that's the other thing, Mariko, how, how do you balance that? Like, how do you bring that into your show? Are you bringing things like climate change into your show? Are you worried about that? Is that something that you even want to talk about in your show? I don't really foresee us touching upon it too deeply. Honestly, the main reason, because I, I'm not a 
expert in climate yeah. change. Yeah. My kids are two and five. So yeah. it's not like they can speak to climate change, but obviously there's the indirect, the positive effect of bringing the two kids out to respect nature. Hi, pumpkin. Hey, there's one of the we're, stars. <laughs> we're in Burlington, Ontario at the office with Papa and Papa's supposed to be watching them right now. Oh, that's fine. It's a show about families. Um, the family. But yeah, I mean, the focus is really on yeah. nature and fishing through the, the lens of a mom and an yeah. adventure mom and now adventure kids. You know, we're so deeply ingrained in contributing back to Mother Earth. I think that we're showing that indirectly through this beautiful cinematography and through really interesting storytelling and also through telling the stories of people who like us contribute a lot. You're, you're creating the next generation of, of stewards out there. These, your kids are going to grow up and they're going to be spokespeople for, for fishing, just like you guys are. That's huge. Already you have your own life experience, but now you've got your children in front of the cameras as well with you. And you can look back and see those moments over and over again. And in four or five years from now, you know, you're going to have so much information and so much firsthand knowledge about raising children in, in the outdoors that uh, the do's and don'ts and, 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 and why it's so important and what comes of it and how it shapes their nature and their character. Write a book, go on the lecture series, you know, give seminars because the, the knowledge you guys are going to collect are collecting is so important. You just don't hear about that. You don't see movies about that. You have documentaries about that. It's just people take it for granted as if, you know, everyone knows that. But and I think we've lost touch with a lot of that. There's a lot of stuff that people don't think about, right? And so the more that we can educate public and, and people, that's great. And, uh, and hopefully we can continue to, uh, to push that message. Mariko, I, I'm a grandparent. I've got grandchildren. You, your, your dad, you know, Papa Wayne and Uncle Bob. I mean, they're, they're grandparents. They must be so proud of what you guys are doing and uh, so proud of the children. And are you going to have them on the show? Are you going to let them get, have their grandparent time with your children on in front of the cameras? Is, uh, is that something in the cards? Papa Wayne featured on a couple episodes for season one. Like to me, it's just such an emotional, incredible thing. So yes, naturally he will feature on some more episodes um and bob i mean we'd love to have uncle bob because you know <laughs> yale and tiger also love bob so you know yeah. i'll put it out there in the universe although he's you know he's still really even though he's retired from the show he's very intense about his tournament fishing oh yeah so his oh, yeah. schedule is you know pretty packed so <laughs> if it's i don't know if it's realistic but we love Uncle Bob, so we're always open to that. I remember Bob telling me once, he said, Lawrence, the only reason I do a television show is so I can get the money to pay for my tournament fishing. Yeah, he's addicted. <laughs> he's still addicted. So, you know, it's just a scheduling problem at this point. <laughs> and, and the grandmothers, too. My mom had her own fishing TV show for two years when we were little oh. kids, actually. And it was in French because she's from Quebec. She typically isn't out with us, um, but she's not opposed to it. Three generations of Azumi women fishing. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. This new path you're on, right? It's uh, fantastic. And uh, two thumbs up, Mariko and, and Kevin. Great stuff. You know, like I said, you guys are now the uh, official Canadian family fishing role model for the rest of uh, rest of Canada and the world. You know, the, what you guys are doing. It's fantastic. You know, well, thanks for, thanks for definitely for inviting well, us on and, and me back to, to talk and, and, um, 
you know, I get your newsletters and, and I follow you and, and I appreciate all the awareness uh, that, that you bring, you know, to, to fishing across Canada and issues and, and things going on. I'm always uh, uh, keeping in tune with that. So, um, you know, from the conservation side and the awareness side, it's important. We really appreciate that on, on what you're doing. Enrico, I, I want to thank you too. I think it was in 2007, you were working at World Fishing Network and running the website, I think. And um, yeah. <laughs> our paths crossed and then you did a big expose about what I was doing. And, and I think, wow, she gets it. You know, like you just picked up on all the things I was up to and around conservation and promoting fishing and all that. And then you did this wonderful spread on the uh, WFN website on that project. And, uh, you know, you've been very supportive with what I do and uh, I love everything you're doing. It's pretty cool that we're still yeah. all, you know, in the industry and still passionately living it all, right? Outdoor tips and tech. I'm talking to you from my tackle shop. I wanted to explain to you the different types of rods and reel options out there. It's important you know what you need if you're going to teach a young person to fish or if you're learning to fish yourself. There's three basic types of reels. I'm not talking fly fishing. That's for way more advanced people and uh, something you might want to try later on, but don't start with fly fishing. So the three basic types of reels are your spin cast or your push button reels. That's an all enclosed reel. There's the spinning reel, which sort of hangs under the rod. And then there's your level wind or bait caster reel, which you control with your thumb. Let's talk about the level wind or bait cast reel right away, because this is not the one you want to buy if you're starting to learn how to fish. You can use it for trolling. I've got one here in my hand. That's just turning the handle. It basically sits on top of the rod. It's perpendicular to the rod. It's like a winch. When I put the reel into cast mode, the spool then spins and the line comes off the spool, goes down the rod through the guides and out the tip. Now that's fine, but the problem is you need to control how fast that spool is spinning with your thumb. If you don't, there's a chance that the spool will keep spinning when the lure hits the water or stops pulling line out of the reel and the spool's still spinning and you end up with a whole bunch of slack line on the spool and that can just be a big tangle of line. It looks like a bird's nest almost. Want to avoid that? You can learn how to do it. I learned how to do it. Most popular type of reel is a spinning reel. Hangs below the rod. The stem of the reel that connects the reel to the rod, you sort of position in between your fingers. And then with your other hand, you turn the handle. Now, when you're turning the handle, the front of the reel spins around and pulls the line in and wraps it around the spool. So the spool is totally exposed, but it's not like a winch style reel. It doesn't spin. The spool only turns when your line's coming off when you're fighting a fish. I'm just turning it with my thumb. Otherwise, you lift the metal wire that pulls the line in, you flip it over, it opens up the spool so that the line can just fly off the end of the spool in loops. It's a really easy way to cast. It's not the most accurate way to cast, but it works very well. What you do is you open this, the arm, you grab the line with your finger, you bring the rod back to two o'clock. So instead of straight above your head, which is 12 o'clock, you bring it back a little further to two o'clock and then you bring it forward quickly. And then at 10 o'clock, you release the line with your finger. The line flies off the spool, 
down the guides of the rod and eventually the lure lands in the water. At that point you close the bail arm and you start to turn and the line winds back in. Easy peasy, hardly ever gets tangled, but still involves a fair bit of coordination with your fingers and all that. Not necessarily the best thing for small children. This is where the spin cast or, or closed faced reel comes in. The best ones are made by Zebco right now, but Aviomatic makes some good ones and there's some decent ones. Now, try to resist buying the ones that come in the shrink wrap, you know, the Door of the Explorer or the Spider-Man combos. They're about two feet long. They're great for two or three-year-olds that drop them off the side of the boat and disappear. You're not going to cry about losing a $14 little plastic fishing rod combo. Your child might, but it's not a bad place to start. But you want to quickly move them on to something a little better, like these Zebco. It's just a, a closed reel that looks like kind of like a pop can. you got a button at the back that you push with your thumb. You push that button in, hold it down. Now this is going to release the line as soon as I let go with my thumb. So I bring it back to two o'clock, bring it forward to 10 o'clock, release the button, and the line flies out the front of this can. There's a little hole there. The line will come flying out that hole through the guides. The lure hits the water. When it hits the water, you turn the handle and you start reeling it back in. These reels are notorious for having bad drag. So, so get some good braid line, like 20 pound braid. Um, put that on the reel. It won't break, hardly ever breaks. That way you can really tighten the drag right up. When you're getting a fish, you can set the hook, you can reel the fish in. It's not just swimming away on you if you've got some control on it. And if the fish is really big and you need to give it a little bit of line because it's pulling really hard, you can always control that drag button on the top of the reel with your thumb and give it that little bit of line until it's a bit tired and then bring it into the net and you're done. So there you go, you guys. If you need more information about fishing blind, visit www.blindfishingboat.com. It always gives me hope when I hear some mainstream movie or TV show promoting recreational fishing. Disney does it with some of their princesses, and they do it too with the Star Wars series, right? I mean, you see these different people harvesting fish to feed themselves, their family, their community. It can go the other way too. I think we can all remember the movie Bambi and how that really made people think twice about hunting deer. We haven't seen anything that mainstream that questioned the ethic of fishing. Yeah, we have lots of movies like Jaws that question whether or not you should even go in the water around fish and Discovery Channel and Nacho and their shark weeks. But you know what? They do a pretty good job of balancing the entertainment with presenting the facts about sharks. And they don't try to make them into something they're not. They're not cuddly dolphins. These are, you know, killing machines that love to eat things in the water and they have no predators. Other than us, that is. A great movie I love to watch are the two-part series called Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. You know, here's a father who's a sardine fisher and has a store about fishing and selling sardines. And his son, Flynn, is a real tech nerd, right? So his father wants him to grow up and be a fisherman too. But he's so busy inventing things in his laboratory. He doesn't have time for his father. Finally, though, the father takes Flynn fishing and Flynn catches his first fish. Listen to this. It's a little extract from the trailer. Okay, now, son. Once you put it on like that, all you have to do is this. So, like this? No, 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 no. Yeah, let, let me show you how. 
See, it's all in the wrist, like this. Whoop. Ah, my body. Am, am I fishing? Yep. I'm fishing! Whoa, 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 whoa. You've got a live one. Now, wheel him in, Flint. That's it. Holding steady. Oh, fighter. I got one! I got one, Dad! Okay. Can we do this again? Like, all the time? Isn't that great? Don't you just feel the excitement and the pride of the father? And all of a sudden, this bond has been forged between parent and child. Taking your kid fishing means more than just helping them catch a fish. By doing so, you also take on the responsibility of passing on the knowledge on how to do it responsibly and respectfully. So don't forget those important parts. And if you want more information about that, visit bluefishcanada.ca and check out all our free resources. We also have a YouTube channel and a newsletter. You can sign up for all that right on the website. And check out our other podcast, The Bluefish Radio Show, to learn what's happening around water quality, fish health, and sustainable fishing across Canada. We've been talking to experts and people with traditional knowledge and scientists for nine years now, 360 episodes, and still going. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.